This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm sitting with council candidate, Mr. Archibald. How are you, Mr. Archibald? Should I just call you Edward? Probably Edward. Mr. Archibald kind of throws me off a little bit, to say the least. <laughs> it's funny how our generation now, it's uh, one of those things where we can't, I can't be called Mr. Monopoly. It just, it can't. I have, it's Marcus now. It's like the whole Mr. thing is sort of out the window. Well, when, when you hear that on radio, I'd kind of, I'd be visualizing a top hat and a monocle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we council elections uh, coming up October 20th, and there's about uh, 22 candidates. Uh, I was first worried um, when actually when you decided to run uh, for council, there were still only about eight or nine, I think, names that were been popping around. And all of a sudden now there's a field of 22. There was 23. We're down to 22. All right. It's a little easier. So the first question I've been asking all candidates is how are you going to stick out? How are you going to be louder than the other 22 to get noticed? I don't think being loud has ever been a problem of mine, as I'm sure many people have seen me on social media since uh, since I moved to Squamish. I'm trying to be as active as possible, uh, going to as many events and as meeting as many people as I can. I'm sure many of my other um, council candidates are doing the same thing. I'm just trying to uh, take a slightly different approach to it all and go from there. Now, your background in Squamish, uh, you, people have been throwing the name developer around or a job occupation called developer. And uh, people start screaming conflict of interest for a developer to be on a council. But technically, you uh, went on a bit of a diatribe on, on Facebook. Of course, to clear the air, dispel the fact that people think you're a developer. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think many people saw the, as you called it, the diatribe. Um, you know, I was starting to see comments popping up from various people, uh, both in the in the election race and in the community, using the word developer. You know, my background is I, I didn't come grow up in the business, so to speak, uh, like many people have. Um, I started building houses when I was a teenager as a laborer. I built my first house with swinging a hammer and cutting every uh, every board with a uh, handsaw. In the diatribe, as we'll call it, I called myself a builder, and that's, that's what I see myself as. Um, yes, I build large projects, but uh, a developer to me is the guy that shows up in the slick suit and thinks he's someone that he's not or someone special overall. And uh, at the end of the day, I think we're all the same. We just do different things. And what I do is I happen to build houses or build homes. Um, and they happen to be multifamily. And good on you. And I also know that I know you've, you're still, I believe, the head of the BIA, uh, the business. I always forget what the I is. Improvement Association. <laughs> yes, the Business Improvement Association for, for downtown Squamish. You've been part of the association for a while, but now you've been ahead of that. So you have the building side and you have the business acumen side. So I think uh, at this point, this is probably where you say, I think I'm good for council because we're looking at big changes on both those fronts. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, in terms of the BIA, I was encouraged by uh, several friends in the community to join the BIA. Uh, I think it's been two years. And our president at the time had to had to step down. Um, she had had her first child and wasn't able to commit to the role any further. And so I stepped into the, the role as president and then uh, has continued on. And, you know, I think from the economic development side, from the uh, development side, I think there's a lot of things that need to be worked on. You know, I grew up in uh, Victoria and I was taught that we support small business. You know, when I, I first, it's funny, I, I just, I was putting together my website um, last week and I was kind of going back, when was the first time I came to Squamish? And uh, believe it or not, it was 1988 on the Hudson. 
and I found came across a bunch of pictures of Gary Balby and me in front of the hubs, Hudson as, as a young one. And then it was 2008 when I came back here for the first time as an adult to go to the train museum because when I came here, I fell in love with the Hudson and uh, said to my friend at the time, man, I really want to live here one day. And fast forward, late 2015, my wife and I made the move up here. And, you know, where I'm going down this road right now is in 2008, when I went downtown, it was just absolutely dead, as, as many people know. Right. And we've seen a plethora of new businesses open up in the downtown core. In the last year, we've had Green Olive, Saha, Salted Vines just celebrated their second anniversary. There's new owners of the Copper Coil. Um, Adrian uh, reopened the Gelato Place and expanded Zephyr. And there's other, there's other new opportunities coming up in the downtown core. So it's really kind of created a new vibrancy down there. And uh, as the BIA, you know, the last year, we really worked hard to look at the changing demographic of Squamish while respecting some of the older traditions in terms of kind of revamping the pumpkin patch and changing up the Christmas time uh, activities. Instead of just doing the Santa Claus parade at 7 p.m. on Friday, it's been moved to Saturday at 4 p.m. And, you know, the goal is to engage as many of the businesses downtown throughout the Christmas season uh, to encourage downtown shopping, to encourage people to go buy their gifts down there, right? So I think from the economic side of, of growing our downtown, I think we've as a BIA, we've, we've definitely started to hit our stride on that. And, uh, you know, we're getting a really positive response from the community. And, you know, in, the, in terms of the development side, I mean, we all know the Garibaldi Springs last night uh, <laughs> went through. Um, and we've had, we have some other large proposals uh, oh, we'll that are like to the surface. We'll get to those. Um, so, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm a builder. I've built just about everything from single-family houses to high-rises with my two bare hands. Uh, so that's what I want to help uh, the next four years is help uh, build Squamish up from where it is right now in both the housing and the and the economic side. Well, what we're seeing right now with, with Squamish is we have, we have council that's been in there for a little bit, and they've been working hard on lots of big changes, lots of big projects coming through. And what we have now, of course, as everyone knows at this point, is a huge turnover. You know, you have the council has been working diligently on many projects to grow Squamish in a certain way, and now majority of them are not coming back. Okay, why? <laughs> First and foremost, why would you all bail at the last minute? And is this a good opportunity for you to jump in? Like, are you jumping in because you think there's a mess to clean up or because there's something you can do? Combination of factors, in all honesty. I think there's some things that have happened over the last term that have left us in a little bit of a predicament. And as many people who see me post online will see, I've been very vocal on that, especially in the last few months. Um, but I also think that, you know, our mayor and council and, and our staff have done a tremendous job in, in setting us up to execute a bunch of new policies and, uh, and a new direction in terms of uh, where, where Squamish is going. You know, so I think I think it's a combination of two factors there at the end of the day. Now I'm going to ask you the chicken and the egg question because we, we are developing so fast, but we also need to bring in some business. So what do we do first? Homes or business? You know, one of the big problems on the economic development side and is that we don't have home for larger companies to set up shop here. And so it is really the chicken and the egg. We need to get some of these larger uh, companies to look at setting up shop. You know, we've got a lot of potential employment land with the oceanfront lands. We've got a lot of potential employment opportunities in the business park. 
and as much as we all love um, climbing gyms and gyms and breweries, we also need to find elements of bringing in green technology in terms of manufacturing. I think there's a there's a tremendous opportunity here in this town. We've got a lot of really passionate people in that realm, and I think uh, we need to do a better job. And I don't know what the answer is uh, to that because I know we have several of our councillors, including our mayor, who are very passionate about that. So it'd be very interesting to kind of try to pick up from where they've been and see what we can do as as the next group, you know, running running the town. Maurice Freitag or Mo, uh, I don't know if you've met him. Uh, if if you haven't met him yet, you will. Uh, he's one of our pundits, and he's been involved in every level of, of government, I think, uh, when it comes to SLRD region and every, even Squamish. And uh, he has a, his own um, editorial on our site, just a little plug for Mo. But he was saying, uh, you know, when it comes down to green technology, that'd be one way to go, especially when it comes to the dump. The dump needs to be expanded. They've been talking about the dump and, and solid waste management needs to be there because we're stretching so thin by possibly, well, I dare say, sprawl that you know to turn on the taps in the morning might actually be a challenge and what he was saying is like with the green technology like build in put in one of those um plasma incinerators like they have in sweden and they'll start collecting garbage from whistler and, and vancouver and get paid to do that and it's it's a very ambitious project but i mean when you're talking about terms of green technology and attacking these companies i mean how do you bring this in or do you going to make a sort of initiative yourself or are you trying to get individual companies to come up here you know i think it's a it's a broader approach i think it's trying to find out what organizations what companies would make an economic fit we've got to factor in our our land prices which have gone up considerably which make it a lot harder so I think it's part of a broader broader strategy overall. I don't really have an answer per se. It's uh, it's just something that when I look at the passion that we have here, the expertise that we have here, it's something that I know we need to harness. How we harness it is a much broader discussion with many of those people. I've been having a lot of chats with Matt Blackman lately, and he's got a lot of amazing ideas. Oh, he's on one of our podcasts as well. He does have quite a few ideas, yes. Right, and, and, there, and there's a number of other people in town that I know of that I haven't had the opportunity to chat with yet. And so I think it's about sitting down, listening. And, and you know, I think that's kind of where some of my background can come into play. The building business the or development business, as you want to call it, it's a big part of that business is taking ideas, marrying them into concepts, and then bringing it to reality. It's a lot of placemaking and putting people together in the right room. At the end of the day, I don't, I don't care what you call it. It's just as long as it's a benefit to Swamish. Absolutely. You know, and because we need to diversify the economy a little bit. So when you're talking about bringing companies in, I mean, we do have a lot of space issues. I mean, a lot of the industrialized employment lands have been converted to residential. And uh, some would argue, actually, there's a lot of companies here in Squamish that needs needs room to grow, but there isn't. So where, where do you think you could start addressing that? You know, it, it's funny. I was listening to one of your other podcasts earlier and uh, today, actually, in preparation. <laughs> and it's about marrying, finding the right space requirements. So what I often find is that we as a community might build what we think everyone wants but it's not necessarily what the organization needs. So we need to do a better job as a community, not necessarily as a council, but as a community, um, listening to our existing businesses in terms of what they need in order to expand and in order to grow. And then finding the landowners that have the land that are willing to move forward on building those facilities. And you know that, that, whether that's in the business park um, whether that's in the downtown core for commercial space for businesses, 
you know, it's a combination of factors. You, you look at the vacant places that we have right now, and most of the vacancies we have are in places that are awkward or just way too big. What, what do you say about the developers actually building commercial space in, in, inside the residential buildings? Is that something that to look into or like sort of give incentives for you know, business space along with residential space, or that just doesn't work. Are you talking about downtown? Anywhere in Squamish. <laughs> downtown, I know there's a few projects down the pipe anyway. Uh, a lot of buildings have been built next few years, I think. Uh, lots of projects, lots of densifying already happening downtown. I mean, Jumar is a perfect example of that. We'll get into that one too. Um, so uh, incentives to create, you know, more employment lands within the residential zone. Is that a plausible thing? Can we do that? Or I, you know, yeah, can we do that? We can do anything that we put our minds to at the end of the day. The question really lies is how much incentive do we really need? One of the things that Squamish has struggled with for many years in the investment community, that's where investment doesn't always do so well. And so, you know, we've seen a real change in Squamish over the last few years. A lot of large groups have come and invested a lot of money in the community. It's more about looking at the relationships we have and how we marry, marry it all together. I don't think it's a broad conversation of, yes, we're going to give this incentive to everyone. I think it's really looking at a case-by-case -case basis is encouraging our landowners, whether it's Solterra, Matthew Southwest, or, or any of the other groups that, that have large employment lands, and understanding from them what their hurdles are and then working with them on a case-by-case -case basis. I really don't believe in a carte blanche incentive across the board. But you work for government. If you get elected, you're working for government. So what incentives are basically policy. So it would be sort of like a carte blanche, right? So you have to sort of find nuance, I think, in, in your policy to be able to have that flexibility to be accommodating to all the developers. Having worked in, in the city of Vancouver, you know, in terms of building, their zoning has enough nuances to make your head spin. So from a policy perspective, I know it's possible. Um, you know, the goal is obviously not to make everyone's head spin. So it's right. really looking at when I first came to town, there was a, a carte blanche tax holiday for uh, uh, developing downtown. And it was for anything, right? Whether it be residential, whether it be rental, whether it be commercial. And that kind of left shortly after I moved into town. So I don't really think that really inspired much at the end of the day. So I think it's really looking at the specific areas that we have and what as a community from a policy perspective um, we see as being a fit working with our, with our planning department and then working with the, the landowners and then working ultimately I think it ties a big part to economic development is looking out there um, with our economic development team, with our landowners, with our staff, and, and yeah. seeing what we have in terms of opportunities for some of the tech businesses. Because a lot of them put out requests for proposals for new spaces and whatnot, right? And I think we need to do um, a better job at trying to marry our, our space to those proposals and, oh, exactly. and go hard on, on those to bring some, some more jobs to town. And I, what, I, what I mean by the question before is is one of those things where you have to sort of establish the rules. So if people come in here to sort of develop, they should understand what the rules are, right? And so have a clear understanding of what we expect, what we want, what we look looking for in developments and sort of say upfront, listen, this is, we want A, B, C, D before you even think about giving us a proposal. So, I mean, that's what I mean by carte blanche and, and by, you know, with policies, at least when developers come, 
they know exactly what they're getting into. And I, I want to believe that they're getting into the fact that now we have a Squamish where they can sort of stand their ground a little bit. And because I think one of the biggest criticisms from uh, the previous government or the uh, exiting government is that they left a lot of money on the table. Absolutely. No, they, they, they have. And uh, that's where, you know, going back to the policy versus bylaw are two very different things. So we need to develop more robust policies that we can then make sure that developers and investors and businesses understand, but that doesn't put a carte blanche everywhere. The carte blanche comes, uh, well, not the carte blanche, but the, the bylaw comes in terms of executing that, but the policy can be a, do- a living document that uh, as proposals come to the table, we can work through them with our staff and with the rest of council and figure out what works best for for the community at the end of the day. Well, you brought up living documents. So next question, OCP. (laughs) You open the door. I knew that one was coming. (laughs) You open the door. So as it stands with the OCP, with the the way everything is laid out, I guess it's because, you know, it's had a lot of public feedback. So I guess it's something that, uh, are you in agreement with it? Are you sort of happy with it? Or is there a few things that you're like, oh, you know, Here's the thing with the OCP is I've gone through a lot of OCP renewals in Metro Vancouver and various municipalities. I've never seen the level of engagement that we had. I've never seen the level of creativity that came from our staff to get that engagement. I've actually never seen a community get so engaged with an OCP before. You know, as, a, as an overarching, do I agree with all elements of the OCP? No, I don't. Do I think that that document should be respected at least for a little while? Absolutely. It is a living document. I mean, it was said last night. It is a living document. I don't think it's a living document that should be altered within months of being brought in. As we continue to um, grow as a community, there may be elements in it that we do need to look at uh, adjusting from the commercial employment standpoint. Um, There may be elements that with that commercial land come opportunities to grow or to build uh, specific rental housing that can house that new growth in the employment side. So I think we need to keep an open mind about it. But I also think that the community has been pretty loud and clear. And I think that to just turn around and open it up within months of um, it being adopted is kind of a slap in the face to the entire engagement process. And I think it's uh, it, it's it's rude to the community. I think it's rude to staff who put so much hard work into it. And that's one thing I've been telling to all councillors uh, is the fact that changing gears a little bit is that you'll be in a room or in a council with a lot of new people, a lot of new faces, and that you're going to be counting on your staff greatly to sort of get you through what the process is. And so, yes, you must love your staff. Please love the staff. We can't lose the staff at this point. Because I, honestly, I'm, I'm a little afraid of the fact that we have so many new faces getting to council. And, and well, I'm not afraid, but I mean, there's, there's, there's some worries. But at least the silver lining is, is that we get to slow things down a bit. As, you know, new members of council, and perhaps even a new mayor who haven't, haven't uh, been in uh, local government, can sit down and say, all right, listen, this is how policy works. This is how we slow things down. And, and so we can stop this breakneck speed of development, right? We're still developing though. We still need room. People are still moving here. So where do you think we should be developing next in terms of housing or, or more? I know downtown is pretty much dense. Do you think about the Chimo land? Do you think about, what, what do you think about possibly growing? Oh, the tough question start. Hmm. You know, I think that there are still a lot of opportunities downtown. There's a lot of, with the downtown planning exercise that was completed as well earlier this year, 
um, the planning department made it very clear to uh, the investment community uh, what is expected in various uh, locations. So I think that there's still a lot of capacity down there. And I think that's fundamentally where capacity should continue to be focused. I think there are nodes that can be looked at for gentle densification. You know, in respect to, to the Chima land, I haven't seen enough detail to be in a position to say yes or no. We've seen conceptual plans and to be putting something to the point where we move our growth boundaries and we amend the OCP, I don't think is an immediate item that should be a, a topic, a, an agenda. I think, you know, one of the things that's been thrown around sometimes a little inappropriately or, or wrongly worded is the amount of units we have in the pipeline already, which it's a considerable amount. You know, we've got some projects that stalled out, restarted, consolidated more land going back to prior to the financial crisis. And I think that as a council and a staff, we need to find ways to move those projects forward before we start opening up lands in our recently adopted OCP and pushing the growth boundaries. You know, so are you talking about slowing down development altogether? I think we do need to take a, I, I don't, I'm not saying stop. Um, well, I'm saying like, like I think we switch need gears to, a little bit. I think we need to switch gears a little bit because, you know, one of the things I've been having a, I've just started actually dialogue with a mayoral candidate on the North Shore in, in respect to transit. And part of that conversation has been, um, as I'm sure we've all seen recently, there was, I think it was in the chief, something like 43 or 46% of of our community leaves every day. Oh, it's actually a number I heard was in the 60s. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard 40s, you've heard 60s. There's a lot of our People community who are that are leaving. Yeah. And I think we need to, on the development side, what I would like to see accelerated, what I would like to see pushed forward is commercial lands so that we don't have to be leaving the community every day. That then ties back to economic growth within our merchants because there's more people in town to spend money. I think we have a lot of projects that are approved that we need to see come out. I think infill projects are always something that should be considered. You know, the Chikai Fan has, has recently moved forward, and I think there's a lot of housing opportunities there. And from what I understand, the Squamish Nation and the developer are very excited to get moving on that. We're going to see a lot of housing there. But, you know, when you look at the Bosa lands, the waterfront, you look at the uh, oceanfront lands, you even look at that parcel uh, across from Megs 99, there's 400 and some odd units. That saw are the sign up there. today. Yeah. Sign, sign today. So, you know, and from what to I buy hear, that they're, parcel, yeah. they're, they're getting ready to move forward. So, you know, I think we need to focus on getting those built before we start opening up uh, further lands. And that's one of the reasons, you know, the community has been so vocal about a couple other proposals that we've had move forward recently. We'll get to those too. Sticking with the densification of downtown, right? So we're talking about uh, infilling and getting, getting more crammed downtown so less people commute. So, I mean, as, as the head of the BIA, that'd be great because then maybe, you know, more volunteers for, for events that you guys put together because I know a lot of, a lot of big events in town have to basically stop because of lack of volunteers. And keeping people in town will help local business. Do you think, though, when it comes to local business and, and taxing, I know the more business comes in, the more taxes come in, so hopefully it sort of keeps taxing at a certain level for everyone, residents and business. But the way the assessment works for businesses downtown, the zoning, right? So if one building is zoned for five or six floors and that little business that's in there has to pay that all that extra tax, is, you, is there some way of possibly reforming that or is that just the way the cookie crumbles? If we don't reform it, we're going to lose a lot more businesses. You know, I was talking to one business downtown and 
Last year, I think their property taxes were around 10000 and this year they were almost 16000 So their property taxes, you know, came close to doubling in a lot of respects. Part of that is through our densification of downtown and delineating what densities are on what site. And so BC Assessment just takes that and, and throws it out there. You know, hopefully I can call them colleagues uh, to the south in, in Metro Vancouver, have been having extensive conversations with BC Assessment at looking at how we tackle that problem from a provincial level, but also at the end of the day, it's a, it's a municipal, we control the actual tax. So looking at a new tax regime um, that takes into account whether a property is being considered for development or not. I don't think a property that has no development proposal, nothing moving forward, should be taxed at the same as something that is moving forward. And I think that would be a, go a long way to helping support a lot of our small businesses downtown that have that just can't handle the increases based on the speculation that a developer is going to come in and buy it and build condos because it could happen tomorrow. It could happen in 10 years. Or we, we see a bump in, in the, uh, the mortgage rates by like 1% and nothing happens. Absolutely. But then you're paying those high taxes anyway, because I have a business downtown. And so it, it's one of those things where that, that keeps popping up because my business tax is going up and then all of a sudden my property taxes are going up. It's like, where's all those taxes? And that leads down to amenities and finding more money. So here we go. LNG. <laughs> uh, everyone's favorite topic. Oh, exactly. Um, it, was, it was a big topic, I think, four years ago. But I think this time around, I, I think everyone's on the same page. Yeah. I, I mean, f from my end, I'm a user of House Sound. I go fishing. I go crabbing. I go out and enjoy House Sound. And I don't want to see anything negatively affect that. At the end of the day, um, the approval of a project like that is completely out of the hands of the municipality. It's a uh, it's a provincial and federal element from approval, and I think the job of the next council is to hold hard and fast and ensure that the community gets as much as they can from the taxation regime that's going to come from that, and absolutely no restrictions on public space. Um, if they want to live in you and operate in unison with Squamish, they're going to share whatever infrastructure they have with all of us. Um, because so I like think Daryl Bay and all yeah, it's specifically yeah. Daryl Bay. I, I don't support any restricted use in that. I think that if they need to put a new infrastructure to operate, then they can put a new infrastructure to operate, and that's going to be shared with hopefully. Um, other ecotourism businesses and, and create kind of a little cottage industry out of Daryl Bay that, that I think the community could really use. Our, our infrastructure for getting on the water is, is pretty difficult in Squamish right now. So I think seeing some upgrades there that they have to pay for and, and making sure that we get as much as we can on the tax regime are our big priority for the next council. Yeah, and also some safeguards, I guess. I mean, even though, and I, I always say this, my, my partner, Alan, would come in and chime in like, there is no accidents ever with LNG. Da, da, da. It's like, well, it's still it'd be good to have some extra funds for an emergency fund. I mean, I know they're using older ships and they're, they're going to come in and, uh, and, and do their thing, but if ever there was an accident or if anything, you know, at least the, the systems are in place to sort of clean up that spill and that responsibly falls i think onto them absolutely it, it should and I, I hope it would and i mean they have a number of environmental conditions that they obviously have to meet in order to move forward and i think um, as a community that's something that we can make sure that we advocate for and that can form part of uh, negotiations on on taxation um, at the end of the day to ensure that the community you know both immediately and to the south of us is protected in the event that there is something catastrophic it's out of anyone's control. Next big development, Garibaldi at Squamish. Or Garibaldi Squamish, as it's now called. Oh, yes, because gas is just gassy. <laughs> so 
Where okay, um, here's a point blank question: Yes or no? And I know it's not a yes or no question, but I'm going to lead with that. It is not a yes or no question. So, um, <laughs> and I will not say yes or no because I don't really have enough information at this point to form an opinion. I think they they're just kind of coming out of the gate now with their revisions and their new game plan. And I know I attended a, an event last week where they did a presentation, and I think they're wanting to be up and running by mid. 2022 2023 but when i talk to the you know my friends in the community and and people that uh, that i've been meeting over the last couple of weeks there's a lot of concerns there and i think those need to be addressed before infrastructure mostly uh, there's infrastructure there's loss of of um, recreation areas for motorsports cat lake is uh is it and, and around there is huge in the in the motorsports um side of Squamish, which is a growing contingent. You know, obviously there's the Black Tusk uh, Snowmobile Club up at Brom that are that are going to be displaced with it moving forward. Infrastructure is huge. It's a given. Um, you know, we can't. Right now, they're asking for Squamish to extend their boundaries. Um, yeah, that, that's going to be a tricky one, too. And that's going to be a tricky one. You know, they're asking that because the SLRD uh, is, is, has been very clear in making their life more difficult to move forward. So they see the, the opening of bringing it into to Squamish. So, you know, on the surface, I see that as a potential of a tremendous opportunity to generate a lot of amenities oh, yeah. um, for the community. But it has to be done in a manner that we haven't seen in the last term, um, and it has to be negotiated hard. And you know, I think there's elements from the the green side that need to be to be taken into account. You know, right now they're planning on pumping water all the way up the mountain, and that's a long distance to pump water. Yeah, they're so. looking at the possibility of an aquifer, and so they don't have to tie into <laughs> our system, which you know, it, it's a smart way to do it. Some of these amenities we're having troubles with already with what we have. Never mind putting in something that has, you know, twenty two hundred beds what is it 23,000 23, uh the first right. phase is so it's at the end of the day i believe it's 22 or twenty-three thousand. yeah um but they are restricted in how they can develop it based on occupancy level so i think the first phase is four thousand and something of which 59 or something percent is private ownership and the rest is uh like hotels and, and whatnot they can't get approval from the provincial government to go to the next stage until they hit certain occupancy rates. So it's not like we're going to see an explosion up there of zero to 22,000 in a span of five years. It's going to take some time, um, as as did Whistler when, when it started out um, and Blackcomb. You know, I think there's a lot more information that as a community we need in order to really make a definitive yes or no on it. I, I'm definitely open to the idea. Is this something that will come down to a referendum? Yes. In respect to if council wishes to consider bringing gas into our municipal boundaries, um, there's two options. There's an alternative approval process and there's a referendum. And I think the the very clear answer is it goes to a referendum in Squamish before it moves forward, period. My concern with gas is one of those things where they build everything. Everything is great. Uh, they, bring, they, they said they'll put in a satellite police and fire. They said they're going to build a road. Uh, my, my, my only concern with, uh, with that is down the road, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, say the project didn't really take the way it was supposed to, and then we're left holding the bag. That's my only real concern with it. I mean, yes, the, the growth opportunity is fantastic, uh, and the taxation is, is, is fantastic, but those are the questions I think you're talking about that's left unanswered. Yeah, we, we don't have the answers to those questions right now, and I mean, there's definitely ways that we can look at 
I don't know about 50 years down the path, but you know, in the, in the you know, nearer term, the 10 or 15 year uh, term, there's definitely ways that if it is within our municipal boundaries, we do have power because we're controlling the zoning. Therefore, we're controlling the potential of holding letters of credit, deposits, Section 219 covenants, which is getting into uber technical development covenants that certain things can't proceed until certain things are built and ensuring that there's there's operating funds for an extended period of time. Um, looking at the economic study of how, if it is successful, and I think that's what we need to look at is on the economic basis, if it is wildly successful, what does it look like? If it's mediocrely successful, what does it look like? If it sucks wind, what is the exposure to the rest of Squamish? And I think before uh, we make any definitive decisions, before I make any de definitive decision on, on the topic, um, that would weigh heavily in, in terms of how I view it. Because the last thing, you know, one of the things I have been harping on and I've been posting on my uh, personal as well as my election page is selling the farm out and not having the money to grow the community. Yeah, and money is a bit tight, and which is why we have those chicken and egg questions and we have all these development questions and trying to diversify the economy because, yeah, money money is a little tight. Gas moves forward. Uh, that means we have a lot more traffic on the highway, so that leads to the next, next topic. Uh, thank, thankfully, we have uh, an acclaimed mayor in Whistler, Jack, uh, who is uh, willing to talk about transit because I think that's another question, too, where we have Vail Corp up there who uh, – are not as concerned about their their staff as much as Intrawest was. They want they don't care if their staff commutes in or lives there or whatever. So that means some negotiations are going to be happening. I think between you guys and 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 Whistler about transit about housing. Where where you want to start with that? Do we do we want to get a big transit system in there or do you want to? You know, I I think. <laughs> I think that's the more difficult question than the rest of them. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I think that we have to have something, um, especially with Greyhound going. You know, I think we've got some great private operators in the corridor who've been running some commuter services. I'd like to see how we can help them grow. They're, they're a made in Squamish solution. I do think we need to work on the transit situation between Whistler and Squamish, but not just Whistler and Squamish. It's Pemberton. It's also the North Shore. I think that it all ties in together. And I think if we can find a collective way to work together on the transit strategy instead of uh, us each burying our head in the sand, and saying no you know you look at the the amount of the sheer dollars that um, the federal and provincial government have contributed to uh, rapid transit in metro vancouver with the broadway extension with the surrey lrt from a transportation standpoint since the sea to sky highway was upgraded we haven't seen a lot of money um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting last week in kind of the run up to everyone announcing and, and whatnot is um, a former mayor in West Vancouver is putting his hat back in the ring, Mark Sager. And uh, one of the things he said in his uh, interview with North Shore News is we need to look at putting transit from the North Shore to Squamish. Um, which I thought was interesting. You know, there's challenges, obviously, with us being BC Transit and Translink. Yeah, that was um, kind of yeah. running things down there. But the one thing that I find interesting with West Vancouver is they own their own buses, and that's not a fact that seems to be widely out there. Uh, 
Um, they're the oldest continuously running municipal transit system in North America, 1912, the Blue Bus. Yes, they have relationships contractually with TransLink, but the District of West Vancouver employs their own bus drivers, owns their own buses. And so when you have the mayor of West Van, or sorry, not the mayor, hopefully the mayor, maybe the mayor, um, <laughs> a potential mayor. I know who you're supporting uh, now. All right. Clearly. Um, <laughs> making reference to that in, in the media. And I've reached out to Mark and we're going we're gonna to be talking further about that. I think it's a really, I think it's showing a general shift in attitude that it's not us and them. And I think, uh, you know, with Jack being acclaimed, I think I've had the opportunity to meet Jack, but I've heard a lot of good things and I think he's got an open mind. And I'm really hoping that our next uh, mayor and council, which hopefully I'm part of, has an open mind and we can look at working um, with each of the municipalities as well as the province and the federal government on coming up with some uh, genuine and constructive transportation solutions for the corridor. Yeah, I mean, we're talking with other, uh, with people and other candidates. I mean, the concern, you're the first actually to go in depth about uh, transit into Vancouver. Everyone's been focusing on transit to Whistler, mainly because on the weekends, like, you know, their kids are going to sea school or they're going to mountain bike school. I mean, it's it's just less individual cars on the road and you can just put all your kids on one bus to safely get up there and you know when they're coming back and it's just alleviating some of the pressure because, you know, that one traffic light in Britannia Beach seems to back traffic up pretty good or the week, during the weekend, right? So transit would be nice to sort of alleviate some of that pressure. But then when you have GAS coming in and all these other things, it's just we're looking at lots and lots of volume. So any any uh, you know plan to alleviate some of that is I think is is needed. Um, is there anything I missed that you want to jump in with on transportation? Anything? Yeah, Baldy Springs. Oh, you want to bring that up? Why not? All right. Go My ahead. favorite topic recently. <laughs> I know it's your favorite topic. I was letting you foam at the mouth a little bit with that one. <laughs> I could see. Yeah, you, you were just waiting to bait me to, to get to jump into that one. It's a prime example of where we've, we've just given up too much. I think that it's a double-edged question. It's a double-edged topic because clearly there was a very intense community uproar about it. It was 1,800 people. I think the last time, uh, it, at least in my limited knowledge, that there was something that contentious, it was going back to the chips plant way back in the day, uh, which I believe that petition was about 1,600 people. So for us just to sit there last night and watch it get approved with that much backlash was a little bit disconcerting. Some people seem to think the proposal was vastly different. Having been in that uh, that world for many years, I've never seen a proposal move forward that quickly in my entire life, which opens a lot of doors to a lot of questions on process and, and what the motivations were for um, bringing it through. Or getting it done before the next election. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think, I firmly believe that this council had the opportunity to approve the project in May. They chose not to approve that project and it should have left been left alone. You know, the general practice for most municipalities on contentious projects in Metro Vancouver is if it gets that close to the election, they're not going to push it through uh, out of respect for the community and well, out of respect for the And that's generally because council. that's because you have a lot more incumbents. We have zero incumbents. Yeah, which well, is one incumbent. One, in, one, one incumbent on the and, council and side council and two councils running, running for mayor, yeah. right? And um, yeah. You know, I think that's that that in itself. But ironically, you know, it was the the incumbents that actually voted it through. Uh, Susan Chappelle didn't vote it through. No, she's the only one. Yeah, but Karen and Doug did. Karen and Doug did. And that I don't you know, I have a lot of respect for both of them. And I don't understand why um, they did. And, you know, I got up at the public hearing and I spoke about I didn't say whether I was for or against it. I, I think we definitely have housing challenges and we need to look at it. But like I also said, 
the OCP has been adopted and I think that it shouldn't have been opened up so quickly. But what I got up and spoke about was the community amenity contribution. You've got land that's in the OCP as green space. Um, you've got 310 units being proposed down from the lot. The, the first proposal I looked at anyhow was 550. And I know uh, Mayor Heinzman referenced a proposal that was 750 units last night. But you've got an incredible uh, lift in the land that the way the CAC was broken up was $3 million in change in cash, $2.5 million in affordable housing, some other smattering of things, I think $750,000 for daycare and then uh, a bunch of park space. Well, in my world, the affordable housing is a bonus in density. Here you go. You need to build affordable housing, but I still get the cash. You know, And so I think on that end, we're shorted several million dollars just there as a community. And then if you go look at a variety of, of, of avenues of value, I think we left a lot of money on the table on that project and a lot of money that this community... Um, sorely needs. You look at our, our neighbors to the south and, and even the north for that matter, and you look at their community facilities, and they, in many cases, are world class. And you look at ours, and they are not falling down, but they're definitely in a challenged <laughs> position. Um, this well, you know, the neighbors to the north had uh, had a had Olympics to help it out, right? Whereas we we were promised a few things that never never came about, and we've been holding breath our breath ever since about somehow fixing it. So it's an it's time we stop holding our breath, and it's time we start standing up and finding solutions for the community that are going to um, that are going to create opportunities. I mean, you have young children, I have young child, and I don't know how much fun you have trying to get your child into swim lessons at Brennan Park. I'm just thankful my son's three and he's not playing hockey yet because I'd be up super late for that. Um, you know, it's... it's my, my kids like sports. They're not uber popular. So, I'm a, except one kid likes soccer, but that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, we, we've got to stand up. We've, we've got to start making noise and we need to start taking what is rightfully ours as a community in terms of being able to build amenities and that's part of the reason where i think we do need to look at slowing down the pace of growth on the housing side and looking more at proposals based on marrying that with employment opportunities because at the at the rate of growth we've had which is somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 percent we don't have the amenities to service that growing population especially considering it's mostly families and if it isn't families yet it's people moving here to start families Brennan Park was built, population was long, long before my time, long, long before your time, yeah, and it was like yeah. nine, ten thousand 10,000 people. Yeah, when I moved here, first, the first time I moved here was 98. There was, well, I think it was 12, 14,000 people, yeah. And now we're pushing 20, and we're saying we're going to be 40 by in the next 22 years, 20, 21 years. Yeah. Well, we need a heck of an upgrade at Brennan Park to be able to uh, facilitate that. As it stands, we need a heck of an upgrade there, and we don't have the funds, so we've got to start getting creative. So you think there's something on the slide there with the Garibaldi Springs, or it's just one of those things where, eh, let's just get it done, whatever. I, yeah, I, I would never suggest I think there's anything on the sly. Um, it's just it's not an appropriate thing to do because it would be pure speculation and right. I'm not into that. Um, I just think uh, it was a I think it's one of those projects that a lot of exemplifies what's been going on. Yeah, it exemplifies what's been going on. But I think also, too, you know, sometimes you get your head down, you get emotionally invested in it. And it's something that when you're not you, when you know you're not coming back, you want to get you want to see it through. And I think it's unfortunate for the community that, uh, that that's now through. And, you know, it would be one thing if, if that OCP was adopted and that land was designated. And it would be another thing if we were talking about a 
significant community benefit, but we're not talking about either of them. Well, on that note, um, where, where people can reach you, what, where are your websites, where are your platforms, what's your, what's your spiel? Give me, give me your liner, give me your liner, come on your sales pitch. Sales pitch. So uh, <laughs> find me on the web at edwardarchibald2018.ca. Uh, we went live yesterday. Um, Facebook and Instagram is Edward for Squamish. On the website, uh, I've tried to make the platform um, as clear, concise with some details. Um, you know, I think we've kind of covered all the topics, housing affordability, transportation, economic development, and, uh, and leadership and standing up uh, for the community. And, you know, another thing I'd like to see in the next four years is respectful debate and not taking pot shots at each other in council chambers, which I've seen far too much of in the last few years. Yeah, and, and social media on top of yeah. that. And social media has gotten uh, a, a little out of hand, and I think we can all get caught up in it every once in a while. But, you know, those are my my four main things that I think are a problem here, and I think we need to... It comes down to clear communication. It. Yeah, absolutely. It comes down to clear communication. It comes down to mutual respect. And if there's some problem, you have a respectful conversation in a private forum and deal with your differences so that you can go out and actually uh, lead the community forward into the next version that Squamish is going to be. Because whether... We like it or not, we are a changing community and we need leaders to stand up and help guide us through that in terms of finding affordable housing options, in terms of economic development, in terms of actually coming up with a regional uh, transit strategy and, and finding uh, you know, provincial and federal dollars for that at the end of the day. Uh, you know, and on the housing affordability standpoint, you know, we've got uh, Helping Hands, little plug there. I'm on the board of directors for Helping Hands and it was the first nonprofit board that I joined year and a half, two years ago now. And we've got under one roof under construction or almost under construction, which is going to be a great facility. Um, obviously, Sea to Sky Community Services had uh, Centerpoint built. We've got the district's uh, affordable housing proposal uh, in behind the skate park that's underway. And I think we need to look at, you know, those are all good steps in the right direction. But I think with where our population has gone with the challenges we have, we need to start looking um, at some of the more immediate emergency measures that we've seen our, our neighbors in Vancouver and Surrey look at with the provincial government of looking at uh, some of our, our public lands for modular housing so that we can get some meaningful solutions and stop the drain of people leaving Squamish because they can't afford it. Yeah. Um, for various reasons. And I think we really need to take a hard look at that, uh, working with DC Housing um, and our planning staff to identify some areas in the community. And, and it may very well be look, working with some of our, our private landowners, to, uh, which I know is something that the city of Surrey has done. You know, And that involves tax breaks and whatnot, but it involves an immediate solution to our community in that respect. Oh yeah, this is another rabbit hole conversation that we could have, but I, you know, I don't want to hear, you, you don't need to be here all night where you know the Airbnb is bad. We need incentives for suites we could put like those mini homes those little little miniature homes and backyards we could do so many things but we'll just leave it here is that okay absolutely i know you i know you're fired up because of care of all these springs <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for joining me on the show today thank you for having me marcus and uh good luck to you appreciate it very much this is the sea to sky podcast if you have a comment or story ideas please check out our website at sea to sky podcast.com or on facebook and twitter at sea to sky podcast thank you for clicking us on 